From Equality Arizona, you're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation, a narrative interview podcast documenting the stories of queer people living in Arizona through the lens of community. I'm Gene Woodbury, and today on the show I talk with Blake Coelho about his experience growing up in Tucson and eventually finding his way back home after living in LA and Nashville for his career in the music industry. We cover the joys of collaborative creativity, the contrast between writing and performing, and how working from home has changed during the pandemic. Blake was kind enough to host me in his beautiful home in Tucson to record this and two other interviews for the podcast, including last week's episode with Juan McElroy. So if you want to catch up on that episode and catch the next episode with Blake's husband, Matt, look us up in any podcast player and hit follow. This was a really delightful conversation and I found a really fun point of connection right at the beginning. So let's go ahead and just roll the tape. Cool. So my name is Blake Coelho. I am uh, he, him. I work in the music industry as a senior licensing manager for a company called ASCAP, and I live in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, that's so cool. ASCAP yeah. is for um, composers, Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, okay. I, I essentially uh, make sure that songwriters, producers, composers get royalty checks. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who is a composer of like chamber music for oh, nice. percussion ensembles. Awesome. And then I... I co-wrote a book of music with him once and so i had to learn all about ascap yeah at the time and that's my one interaction with ascap nice very cool that's yeah. so cool yeah. yeah so i used to be a songwriter and then i i started working in the industry and i um kind of broke into the industry uh working in venues and and kind of like booking bands and stuff like that and then i lived in nashville for a bit and got this job at ascap and i've been there for like five and a half years now okay cool yeah did you start out here in tucson no so i well i grew up here in tucson and then when i was 18 i moved to california for college and I went to um, a small uh, school called Santa Clara University okay. uh, just outside of like San Jose in the Bay Area yeah. and then after I graduated I moved down to Los Angeles and that's when I started working in the music industry oh I see yeah that's a good place to start absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely I mean people are often surprised when I say I work in the music business living here in Tucson they're like what what do you possibly do in music in Tucson but my job is fully remote and I've been fully remote for like over five years now. So oh, I see. Um, it, it allows me a lot of flexibility. And when my husband, Matt, and I were kind of uh, figuring out where we wanted to start our family and, and kind of, you know, establish our roots, we decided to end up back here since this is where I'm from and my family's here still. Oh, I see. And yeah. then you have that family support. Exactly. Yeah. And we also were like, where can we go and like, I don't know, afford to buy a house and like not be starving. <laughs> and so yeah. California just didn't seem like the, the right place for us. And Tucson is beautiful. Yeah, um, we love it. So when did you move back to Tucson? Then? We moved back here together in 2018. So we've okay. been back here for, yeah, just about five years. I mean, I, I started at ASCAP, like I said. We were living in Nashville at the time. And I started there um, 
And within about three months, I got promoted to, to working from my home office or like working remotely. And like two weeks after that point, we were out of Nashville and moving here. Oh, wow. So okay. yeah, so it was, yeah. it was pretty quick. As soon as I uh, realized I was allowed to have that flexibility, I was like, all right, let's get, let's get out of here. We didn't like Nashville to, oh, to yeah. uh, put it plain and simply. So we were excited <laughs> to get out of there. I've only been to Nashville once and it has a really different character to any city I've been to in Arizona. Yeah, for sure. So if, for me, it was just like culture clash. I, yeah. I didn't really know how to exist there. That was our biggest thing. That's actually kind of how I refer to it. When people ask what we didn't like about it, I always say it was just a big culture shock. Obviously the city of Nashville itself, like people think it's really fun and music and party and you know, it's, it's referred to now as Nash Vegas and it kind of is like a little like party city. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, it's like the new go-to place for bachelorette and bachelor parties and stuff like that. But right outside of Nashville, I mean, the, the actual city of Nashville or like downtown Nashville is very small. And then once you get out of that, you're like straight up in the Bible belt. Like it is very, very conservative. And so for us coming from the West coast, coming from, you know, Tucson's very liberal. And, uh, my husband was from orange County and we lived in LA together. And so we were used to, you know, the, the West coast mentality, um, and moving to the South was very difficult for us. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And, and Tennessee now is, um, it's crazy. I'm so glad I don't live there anymore. I, and like, like I said, my company is still based there. And so I still have a lot of connections there and I am constantly, uh, just, thanking my lucky stars that we don't live there anymore because so many of my colleagues and our former friends and, and, you know, people who are in the LGBTQ community, um, or even people in other minority groups are just really struggling out there right now. And it's hard to see, but I'm glad that I'm not in it anymore. Yeah. Is this something that you have conversations with, with friends about and coworkers about? Uh, sometimes kind of depends. I mean, the, the thing that we found, which was really interesting is that a lot of the people that we had anticipated being really like-minded or, or, um, you know, people from our community out there that we kind of thought like, Oh, well, these will be our people. We're going to, you know, lean on each other. They were still fully immersed in this, like, Southern conservative culture. And so even the other, you know, uh, queer people that we would meet or, or other minorities, they still had a lot of those ideologies, um, within them and, and like, like deeply rooted within them. So there was a lot of, I don't, conflict isn't the right word, but just like, even with the people that we thought we were going to connect to, we still felt a disconnect. Like even the, the most liberal people in, in Tennessee were still like, far more conservative than than we are or than we would have expected them even to be. in like the lgbt community. exactly yeah. yeah so yeah it was just really difficult and and it's kind of a fine line to walk and then you start to question like well how much of this is just i mean not, not to use like a, a buzzword right now but like indoctrinization like they've been kind of indoctrinized into these like conservative ideologies and a lot of it is very religious based and so yeah. Yeah, there was just a lot of that where we're like, you, you're an enigma. Like, you're kind of an oxymoron. Like, how are you towing this line where it's like two starkly contrasting sides and you're like trying to dance in the middle of it and that's really hard. Yeah. I think for some people, if they grew up there, mm-hmm. if they have family there, they're in that culture yeah. and, and they don't necessarily want to feel disconnected from it exactly and so it's something where they'll they'll 
accept some level of tension in their own self for sure to be able to be in the LGBT community and still part of their, their culture. Yeah, absolutely. And so many people that we know are really passionate and, uh, I mean, a lot of them are activists, for lack of a better word. And we have so many friends who are really vocal in their beliefs. And, you know, they they go out and march in the streets and and advocate for for people's rights and all of that. And so, like I said, even the the queer people or the LGBT folk out in um, Tennessee, they, they didn't have that same kind of like fervent drive to help the community. Um, and, you know, that might be part of the reason why those states are still in the situations that they are because you know the the members of the minority groups are so deep in it that they don't even necessarily know how to to like fight that culture you oh know? interesting yeah. yeah i wonder if that's part of it yeah i mean it could be i worry now with states like tennessee where the laws are getting to a point where like for some trans people it's not necessarily a state they can live in. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, I worry about that because I think, okay, well they need to move somewhere else, mm-hmm. but making the decision to move is really hard. Yeah. You made the decision to leave Tennessee for kind of a normal reason. Right. And I think for a long time, queer people have been making those decisions about where is the actual city or the state where, you know, even not from a legal standpoint, but just culturally and socially, where do we right. feel comfortable? Right. Yeah, exactly. And and now people are being pushed into that from a, like a legal risk standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of it is about like finding, you know, where you fit in or finding your tribe and like, you know, where your people are. Um, but like you said, part of it is, is uh, fear-based. Um, and, and that's too, it's like on, on both sides, there's the fear of, leaving because mm-hmm. it's all you know and it's where your family is and it's you know it's your home and no one ever wants to feel like they're being run out of their home but yeah. then on the other side of that is the fear of staying and what happens if i stay and you know will i be able to ever truly live my life and so many people you know have to face that conundrum and it's such a difficult one to face because again it's about choosing I mean, you could look at it either way. It's about choosing to walk into a new life and into a new experience of acceptance and, and, you know, hopefully thriving, but it's also walking away from something. And even when that thing is not serving you, it's still really hard to walk away from stuff, you know? It is. Yeah. You were able to make the choice to move back to your home. Yeah. Which I think is kind of the best possible version of that. Right. Did you find here in Tucson that there there was that community you could get into and that like the tribe, the people that you could find? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I had a safety net. I grew up here and my family was here, yeah. but I was actually very pleasantly surprised to find this LGBTQ plus community here in Tucson and one that has grown exponentially since I was growing up here. And I mean, to be fair, I was in the closet and I was a kid and I left at 18. And so I didn't really do my like, quote unquote, growing up, growing up here. I wasn't like going out and like, you know, in my twenties here, I was like quite literally a child, right? (laughs) but I was still surprised coming back. I didn't expect there to be this like really flourished, thriving, um, queer community, which there is. And I probably shouldn't have been so surprised because Tucson is historically and always has been very liberal Mm -hmm. and it's very artsy and there's a lot of culture and it's, you know, people always joke that it's like, 
uh, like Phoenix's like democratic little sister or something, you know, (laughs) and that's kind of true, but I was definitely surprised. Like I said, um, pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I just feel like, like Tucson is a place that is so rich in culture and celebrates so many different types of people because it is a really diverse city. And I'm happy that that includes the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Um, and you really do see so many queer owned businesses out here and, and they're like vocal about it and, you know, have rainbow flags in the windows and it's celebrated, you know? Um, so we were like a bookshop. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of books. Yeah. There's a, there's a ton. And like, I mean, um, bookman's, which is like a huge, uh, like, um, used bookstore here in town. And they have like, I think five locations, but it's a queer owned business. And bookman's is queer. Yeah. And they've been around for, I had no idea. I love bookman's. Yeah. They've been around forever. And so it goes to show you that like, this community has always been here. We just didn't really realize it. Yeah. But even beyond like the city as a whole, finding our own personal little tribe and our own community, um, it's been wonderful and it's been so hugely important to, I think, creating the life that we want to live for ourselves. Yeah. Um, we, you know, when we moved back here, it was definitely with the intention, like I said, of like, establishing ourselves and finding our roots and buying a house and kind of going into that, like, you know, grown up phase of life, like turning 30, here we go. And so part of, part of me was like, Oh God, are we about to be like old people with no social lives anymore? And like, (laughs) we're not gonna have any friends and we're just going to be at home all the time. But that hasn't been the case at all. In fact, we've we've been able to surround ourselves with a lot of like-minded people who have really great heads on their shoulders and they're like killing it in their jobs and they're thriving in so many ways. Oh, that's amazing. And we like go out and have a lot of fun together. And that to me, I think is, um, I mean, it's the best feeling when you like get to work hard and then play hard and like all of your friends can kind of keep up. You know, I always oh, felt yeah. for, for so long, I felt like, we were, no matter who we were with, it was like, there were different tiers, like some groups of friends we would hang out with and I would feel like they were like light years ahead of us. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like they're so adult. Like how are oh. they grown up? <laughs> and then we'd hang out with other friends and I'd be like, oh, these are children, like what are they doing? So I, I feel like we finally found our like Goldilocks, like perfect medium, you know? Yeah. So that, that doesn't great. happen on its own. That's- no, we, I mean, we worked for it. We, it, which is it's weird. It's weird being an adult and like actively meeting strangers and being like, hi, I'm looking for friends. <laughs> you know, that's like a weird thing to do. But again, you find the right people because we, we would find people and say that and they'd be like, oh my God, me too. You know, I'm oh, looking yeah. for friends too. And so I think more people are in that position than we realize. Um, you know, when you're a kid and you're in school and even in college, like there are so many avenues that are meant to create friendships and like yeah. put put people together you know i think of it as like like received community yes 1000 yeah. percent exactly but once you're an adult like that doesn't happen anymore maybe you know at work you can make mm-hmm. some friends but there's not really like forums for just going out and like meeting new people so you kind of have to do it on your own which is daunting and it can feel like awkward to be like i'm a grown-up and like i want friends like it's so, <laughs> it's so weird but we're all in that boat and yeah i don't know i'd rather like maybe have a moment of vulnerability and like make a new best friend out of it than not make that friend right you know? yeah i think sometimes the forum for that is like a bar or uh in tempe we have like a gay-owned coffee shop mm-hmm. where there's just like 
big social events yeah, and stuff. Totally. You know, there's a, I think a big one out here, um, was there's like a, a queer, um, I think it's either dodgeball or kickball league and like mm. everyone is in it and they're all obsessed and they oh, wow. all like make okay. all sorts of friends. The problem though, and the reason why <laughs> I haven't gone into it and the reason why I won't let my husband get into it is apparently they like kind of turn into orgies. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. So it's like that, that's kind of the other thing. Like that's a little weird is, you know, like we're, we're adults and we're trying to make friends, but it's like, I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea. Like I'm just, right, we're just trying yeah. to be friends. Like, you know, there's that like, funny joke about because you brought up like you meet people at bars where there's like that thing about like oh I saw you across the bar like you look like you would get along really well with me and my partner and it's just right. we're not in that situation we're not like trying to proposition anyone <laughs> we really just want to hang out and be friends right know? yeah and it's, it is hard to find the right the right venue for that or the yeah, right totally yeah. you know honestly what's helped a lot is social media we've mm, made a lot okay. of great friends through social media um, through like groups or just like yeah, Twitter kind or of just, yeah or? just kind of like I, I mean honestly the algorithm Mm -hmm. i think i feel like so much of our lives now we're like oh my god that's so serendipitous like oh the world like the universe is sending me a message and it's like no that's the algorithm the algorithm (laughs) is sending you the message tiktok is sending you exactly exactly so i i feel like there have just been so many like my feed now it's all queer people and like a lot of local queer people and so i just yeah i see a lot of the same faces and then you start like interacting and then you connect with them so yeah that's been really beneficial i mean me and my husband met on instagram too so that's like oh wow yeah the way of the world now (laughs) for me social media was a big thing for finding queer community Mm -hmm. but it was just online community Mm -hmm. it wasn't local people yeah and i wasn't even like finding local people through social media right uh so i think it's to me, like remarkable that that is something that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's true. So you were talking before to our good friend Juan and he and I actually connected on Instagram and we were probably friends on Instagram for like several months before we ever met in real life. Oh, wow. And we had just established by like sending each other memes or like responding to each other's stories, like, oh, we have the same sense of humor. And so yeah. even before we met in real life, we were able to like, you know, forge that connection. Yeah. And then, yeah, he just, they had some friends over one night and they invited us. And I remember, I remember telling Matt, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm friends with this guy on Instagram. He invited us over to have dinner. And Matt was like, who is this? Like, who, what are you talking about? And we went over to their house and like, you know, now they're our best friends. So oh, that's amazing. It can happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. You mentioned earlier that when you were growing up here, you didn't feel like that was what was going on necessarily, or that you were surprised when you came back yeah. based on your experience as a kid. Yeah. Did you have, I mean, you said you weren't out, but did you have like an awareness of what the possibilities were for you? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I definitely knew I was queer. Um, and it, it wasn't, I was never like, I was never like afraid or like scared. I mean, obviously I was closeted and so there was some, some sense of like, you know, can't be fully who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess that comes with fear, but I was raised in like a, a little bubble. I was raised in a suburban community. Um, very, very tight knit, like everyone knows everyone. And that provided me with a lot of safety. I was never bullied or anything because I knew everyone and I'd known them forever. And like, even if someone didn't like me, like my mom's friends with your mom. And so like, there's just, there's just that kind of, you know, when you're in like a little community, you like, it it provides protection because like I said, everyone knows everyone. 
And certainly like, you know, I was friends with all of the girls. And so if any of the guys wanted any of the girls, like they had to go through me. And so oh. that, that, you know, that, I yeah. was, I was in a, a good situation in that regard. I never felt like my life was at risk, which is, you know, something I don't take for granted because I know that right. so many kids are like truly live like every single day in fear. And that was not something I had to experience at all. Um, I think for me, it was just growing up in a little bubble like that. You know, I was just kind of doing the same things and and around the same people all the time. And it was very homogenous and it was just very, also a very like, you know, whitewashed community. Um, So yeah, it was just, everything was just very quote unquote normal and like a traditional normal, like nineties American <laughs> like suburb, you know? Yeah. And so I think for me, I just didn't know what to expect after, you know, I grew up in that environment and then I went and lived in, you know, lived in Hollywood for five years. And so I, it was just such a, that Very was different. Right. Yeah. It's like such a, you know, we talked about culture shock. So that's a culture shock. But to me, it was like a great culture shock. I was like, this is awesome. Oh yeah. yeah like, <laughs> so fun. Um, so I think I was just, you know, having that experience in, in LA and then having like my Nashville experience, which was super weird coming mm. back here. I was like, it's maybe going to be somewhere in, in the middle, but like, I don't really know. Right. And like, I said, I was a kid when I was here before. So like, I'd never been to a gay bar in Tucson. I'd never even really like gone out downtown. Um, because the, you know, growing up here, the only times I would really be in those environments is like, Oh, if I was with my family and we like went downtown to like, you know, go see, like see Disney on ice. And then we went to dinner afterwards. I wasn't like out with my friends drinking and stuff. So I just didn't know what the, the, youth culture was like in Tucson period, you know, whether that's like LGBTQ or just, you know, in general. And like I said, I was so pleasantly surprised. And I think that, you know, uh, in that time since I left and then came back, which I mean, to be fair, it was a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm older than I look. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I think just like nightlife and entertainment and, and just, all of that kind of picked up in Tucson. So, um, yeah, it's not so much necessarily that I was, wasn't sure what to expect in terms of like LGBTQ acceptance. I really didn't know what to expect period by coming back here. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I don't know. I haven't been there since I was a child. I don't know what it's going to be like being an adult in Tucson. Who knows? Yeah. Growing up in a, in a really insular community, it's not always like you're being fed a bunch of homophobic messages. It's just like, it might not be relevant to anyone else. And therefore you're just not going to, Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't because there weren't, you know, like a bunch of other, you know, out queer kids expressing themselves. And then, so I didn't see that. And then because that wasn't happening, I wasn't seeing any, like anyone's responses to that. So like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was good or bad or anything. It's just that it wasn't, you know, there just wasn't representation. Um, and again, it's not just about queer people. It was like, I mean, like I said, it was a very white school. I could probably count on my hand how many like people of color there were in my grade. And so I was very uh, limited in my worldview in that regard. And again, I'm very fortunate that um, it was a very lovely community to grow up in and everyone is really great. And I'm still connected with so many friends from childhood. And I mean, so many people from childhood and a lot of them are like really amazing, great people. And in fact, I've actually had several people, guys, like men in adulthood that I grew up with, like reach out to me and be like, hey, 
just so you know, like if I were was ever mean to you, I like, oh, want to apologize. Like that's I so feel, nice. yeah, and I'm like, you weren't. Like you really weren't. Yeah. You know. But so, you know, this little community, like yes, it was very insular and it was very, um, I mean, protected. And I don't mean that to say that we were like shielded from anything bad, but just we were, you know, we were just kind of like, you know, in this little bubble that we couldn't get mm-hmm. out of, and that could lead to very very closed-minded people but somehow a lot of great people came out of it so i'm thankful that's you really know? nice yeah i'm thankful yeah. for that i don't know how they did it but they did <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you've been a musician or in the music industry for a long time yeah did you get started when you were a kid yeah i've always been musical um really really fortunate that my my parents especially my dad was like do whatever you want my so my dad was um in the armed forces and i have an older brother who was like total jock and now he's a marine and so very like heteronormative but my dad actually grew up he grew up uh, overseas in an extremely physically abusive household and so his like big thing when parenting was like, I am going to be the exact opposite of my dad. So despite the fact that he himself was like, you know, super masculine, like, you know, subscribe to all of these like super masculine things and activities and, you know, likes and whatever, he didn't mind that I was in show choir. And that like, when I was a kid, I like, asked for a Barbie doll for Christmas and like mm-hmm. he got it for me you know like all of those things he came to every theater performance I was in like every show he encouraged like my dad when I was a kid was encouraging me to take dance classes and I was like I don't want to do that dad my, my dad was like you have to if you're going to be a star like he was super encouraging I love in all of those ways well, so you you weren't just doing music stuff, you were doing like theater and Yeah, so and, and I actually went to college for musical theater. Okay. Um, cool. So I did acting, music, I played piano as a kid. Um I mean at one point they they like, you know, tried to get me into soccer, but not in like a forceful way, but just in mm-hmm. a like you should probably like exercise kind of way. Right. And I think I maybe played in one game and they were like, This isn't for you. Oh. <laughs> so very very, very open with letting me like, you know, try whatever I wanted to try and really figure out who I was. And so even though growing up I wasn't you know, out of the closet. And and even though I wasn't expressing who I was in terms of my sexual orientation, I never felt stifled in, in being who I was in like every other avenue. Like I was always very celebrated in all of the things that I liked and, and didn't like and the things that I was good at. And it was never like, why can't you be more like your brother. Like, why can't you do more boy stuff? You know? Right. So I'm so grateful. So, so grateful. And it's, it, it, I, you know, and my mom is great, but like, I think coming from like, it's, it's, it says a lot more coming from my dad just because, you know, it says a lot when it's coming from a man period, but Mm -hmm. given his background and, you know, just what he had to go through, um, the fact that he was able to completely take his childhood situation and like flip it on its head is, is amazing. So his dad, who was incredibly abusive, like I said, I only ever met him twice in my life before Mm -hmm. he passed away. Um, and that was like by my parents' choice. They were just like, "We, we don't want this dude around, but yeah, he hated me. Like the first time he ever met me, I was a toddler and I'm pretty sure he probably said some like really homophobic stuff to my parents. Like he was just like, who is this? Like, like little boy playing with a doll, you know, he just, he couldn't, he thought it was like, like satanic, you know? And, and my dad was like, no, like that's, it's chill. He's let him play with his Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things about music and theater is that you're surrounded with people. Like it's, it's something that you have to do with others. Yeah. 
I think there's only a couple things like maybe piano where mm-hmm. it can become like individual attainment right. or violin maybe. Uh, but even then you're almost definitely going to be playing music with other people. Right. You need an ensemble. You need yeah. like, the whole orchestra. You know? Yeah. And, and that, that for me is the thing that I think can really sustain interest in mm-hmm. it is that you're around other people who are doing it. And it's yeah. that like collaborative creativity. Yeah. That's so fun. Well, it's community building and it's also, you know, the the theater and the arts in general it's a safe space for for people who have been ostracized and people who have been othered and it's also a safe space you know for creativity and for like finding yourself and for like playing like so many actors refer to work as play and they yes, refer to yeah. acting as playing with each other because it it allows you to explore and take risks and try things and that is something that's so different than like sports for example which is very much like this is how it's done you do exactly this like if you don't do it right like you're out you know <laughs> um whereas like yeah. when you're acting and stuff obviously by the time you like, say you're doing a, a a production like a theater production by the time you hit the stage you have your marks you know what to do but like the whole rehearsal process is like playing you know and so it gives all of these people who have been stifled and told like no you can't be outside of the box like you can't say that you can't wear that you can't think that it gives them all a space where they can go find one another and be like as weird as they fucking want to be you know and i don't know many other spaces like that that like that exist there aren't yeah I mean, there's not very much besides that. Uh, there's there's stuff. I mean, especially with the internet, there's yeah. stuff. But like yeah. that, that's special, and it's right. in person, and it's very embodied. Yeah, I remember. So especially, like I said, I went to uh, college for theater. I got my degree in communications and my degree in theater arts, and like my theater classes, it was like so much fun. And especially too, like you said, you know, you build a little community and, you know, in, in any major, there's a set amount of people, but especially like a theater major, there was like 20 of us. And so we all had every class together every single day. I love that. And like most of the same teachers every, you know, every year, every semester. And so you really just like build these incredible friendships. Um, yeah, and just like have so much fun being silly and acting like kid. I mean, it's it's one of the few spaces where adults are given permission to just like be kids, you know? Yeah, I, I like that way of saying that. Yeah. Did you have a specific thing you were trying to find creatively in theater when you were doing that major? Um, not necessarily. For me, it really was. Um. So a lot of people uh, kind of like look at their particular um, avenue or art or whatever as like a craft and it is and like I definitely took it seriously but a lot of people are more about like what they're doing in the performance Mm -hmm. for me what really drives me is like the response from an audience like I I love like the being on stage and the just like the energy in a room during like on show night things like that so for me I think that's what I was always searching for yeah is like you know a lot of people get you know their um enjoyment or their fulfillment out of like the three months of like of rehearsing and like really like finding their character and working through it for me it was like i'll get through those three months to get to like the the four weeks of performing it like that's the what i'm going for um that feeling of being on stage whether it's for five minutes or for two hours or whatever it is like that was the rush that that drove me through all of it it's a really interesting relationship like performers and the audience Mm -hmm. 
and I know like people love to talk about like feeling the room and everything, but yeah. like it's a real thing. Like, you oh, can 100%. tell where the audience is yeah. when you're on stage. Absolutely. And I, I love feeling that because yeah. it's, it's very different than, okay, you're doing exactly the same thing as in rehearsal, except right. it's not it's the so same different. thing. It's so, it feels so different. And even though you may be going through the exact same motions, everything about it is completely different. The energy in the room, the energy in you, like all of it. Yeah, it's... It's crazy. And so, I mean, to that point, so my husband, Matt, and I, when we first met and started dating, we were both um, like performing as songwriters in LA and we were both writing a lot of music for ourselves and for other people. And we started working together a lot and we would, you know, write and then we'd record in the studio and then we would go out and gig. And it's funny, like what drove him was always like the in the studio like the creative like hours and hours of like writing and ripping up the paper and like coming up with a new idea and all (laughs) of that and for me like I would be in the studio just like oh my god like I just want to go I want to perform like I just want to go sing for someone you know but it's it's just interesting that like we're doing the same thing but we both are in it for such different reasons and we're both getting such different fulfillment out of it yeah and then like the flip side of that is once we did finally start gigging you know, he'd play and he would just like, you know, go through his songs and play them and just kind of get through. And I would be like in between every song, like 10 minutes talking to the audience (laughs) and telling all these stories. And so, yeah, like that is definitely what always drove me, I think was the human connection of actually physically like performing to people. And for other people, it's actually the ability to like create and work through the processes of like forming art and both are amazing and beautiful and right and, yeah. and correct yeah neither are wrong and i think it's really special when we get to do that any side of it yeah especially professionally yeah so when you met your husband you were both working as singer-songwriters yeah um i mean we both had like day jobs to you know help uh sustain but yeah we were both writing and like i said writing for each other and writing for ourselves and then we would write for other artists and um i think we'd been together maybe like six months and Matt, uh, put out like a five song EP and I had helped Mm -hmm. him write like maybe half of the songs. So that was a big part of what brought us together was like that creative, um, connection. Yeah. And the, and the ability to collaborate with one another. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you still write music together? I mean, we do. Um, our lives have just taken such a turn in recent years. Um, we're both like incredibly busy in our, our professions now. So we, we try as much as we can. I honestly think it's probably been like a year or two since we wrote a song together, but we're still like very, very musical in our house. So even if we're not writing together, Matt always is like picking up the guitar and playing and like we're always listening to music and singing while we like cook dinner and dancing and like a lot of that stuff like music is definitely a big thing that that drives our relationship even if it's not um, for us creatively so like another thing we did a lot when we first started dating and we still do is like we go to a lot of concerts and we we love like to go see shows and just things like that Um, our music tastes are very similar and so we're always sending each other like new songs on Spotify. Like, Oh, oh I just found this one. Like, you know, yeah. so it's definitely something that is, is a huge connector for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. One thing you mentioned a long time ago now <laughs> that I was really interested in talking to you about is that you started a fully remote job. Yes. A couple of years, at least before the pandemic. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so then you were like, I know how this works. Oh yeah. I, I was like an this. old pro. At that yeah. <laughs> so, did it change your work at all, though? Because I know that with that, it's it's not just about 
licensing and royalties, but about performance of, yeah. of compositions. Yeah. So definitely when COVID hit, um, our work slowed down a lot. There was probably at least six to nine months where like we weren't really doing anything just because there was no live music. There was, you know, uh, no venues were having concerts to, you know, collect royalties on. Right. Um, so that definitely did affect us. Uh, but since then, I mean, everything's kind of kicked back up and, I'm fortunate too. I like we work certain territories and my territory was one that kind of opened back up sooner than other people. So, so I kind of got back into things quicker. Um, now it kind of feels like business as usual again. In fact, you know, everyone loves to talk about like the recession and the economy, but I swear to God, everywhere I go, there are millions of people. Every restaurant is jam packed. Every Mm -hmm. store is jam packed. And I can tell you from like a business standpoint, like, venues are having music and bands and DJs and karaoke like every single night like people are out having fun and that's because we couldn't for so long you know right so it's definitely a good thing the one thing that I do think has actually been a a benefit in terms of like me working from home is before the pandemic I almost felt like a sense of shame working from home and I like wouldn't want my clients oh, or anyone to know that I worked from home because I was like, oh, they're not going to take me seriously. So like yeah. if I'd ever be on a work call and like one of my dogs would start barking and be like, oh, so- someone, like a dog just walked by my office, like, you know, just try and play it off like really cool. But now like everyone works from home and it's like so normal to work from home. Yeah. So I don't feel that same kind of stigma. Um, and that may have been in my head at the time. Like it probably no one would have cared, but I definitely feel like now... No one will care for I, sure. I still think that there's like a level of stigma. Like I think there yeah. was some, and there's for some of these larger companies, they're like, let's get everyone back into the yeah, office for sure. And I love that the culture has shifted so much towards normalizing yeah. work from home. Oh yeah. Because it, it really is amazing for enabling someone like you to live in a city you love and work a job that isn't based in that city. Right. I mean, it feels almost like an obvious thing for yeah. many jobs. Oh, totally. Well, and also, you know, like I cannot tell you how much not having a commute has changed my life. Like having, mm. you know, an extra hour or two every day to not have to like get up and rush and get out the door. I mean, even just like m- my mornings are so nice. I, <laughs> I haven't woken up to an alarm in years. I just like, I get up, I like take my time, I make my coffee. If like, you know, there was a new episode of The Housewives on last night, I can like watch it before I start work. And I'm still like at my desk by 9am and I haven't rushed. I'm not stressed. Right. And I feel like that's such a huge part of like the American grind culture is like we wake up and like we are instantly stressed out from the second we wake up. It's like rush, 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 rush to get out the door, to get all of your stuff. And like not having that, or at the end of your day, not having the rush to try and like get home, like to be able to, to be able to just just close my laptop and just like sit back and I'm already home. Game changer. Yeah. And you mentioned that you like to cook. For me, working from home, I love the days where I'm actually home, yeah. working from home, because then it's like, oh, it's dinner time. Right. And instead of like r- rushing home from work and then being hungry and thinking, okay, am I going to spend a couple hours cooking, which I love to do, but it's, I'm already hungry. Yeah. It's so much nicer to be Well, you don't want to spend, you know, an hour cooking after you just sat in the car for an hour. It's like, right. you know, but yeah. if you can avoid that first step, then you're like, Yeah. You know, yeah, let's let's exactly. uh, saute some some shit up. <laughs> and I think the flip side of that is that when you do go out, it's for different reasons. It's yeah. because you want to be around people, you want to go do things and totally. see things. Yeah. 
And I, I like that we do have that again. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of music that comes through Tucson, like the Rialto. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely been nice. And I mean, like I said, you know, the West Coast definitely opened up sooner than other parts of the country. And mm-hmm. so I know, I mean, so the pandemic started March of 2020, I think by like June of 2020, you know, venues were open again, restaurants yeah. were open, concerts were happening. So we de- we did not have the same effects that a lot of other places did mm-hmm. and I'm super grateful for that because even like I said you know even though I wasn't back up working and even though I knew like the country was shut down it was kind of a free for all out here I mean they call they call it the wild west for a reason <laughs> so we were all yeah. just like yeehaw um but it was fun and I was still able to go do stuff and you know we didn't feel so trapped um, especially at that time when the pandemic started, my husband and I were still living in an apartment. And so we were like, mm. oh my God, these four walls, like get me it, out it of here. It can be a bit much. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm happy that we have made it as far as we have. <laughs> Something that I, I do want to ask about before we have to wrap up. Yeah. You're going to continue working from home. I also, I saw the room with the crib and yeah. the sign about the twins. Yeah. Are you excited to work from home in terms of getting to be around your kids? I'm so excited that I get to work from home because of, you know, because I'll get to be around the kids. I'll be, you know, much closer. It'll be really easy. I'm not excited to work from home with the twins because like there's no escape, you know? And that's something that I already deal with is like, it's really nice to not have to leave and go to an office, but sometimes, and I, I do say this to my husband sometimes, like, I envy the fact that you get to like leave and go and kind of like leave all of the household stuff behind. And sometimes when I'm here all day long, even when I'm working, I'm still like looking at the kitchen and like remembering all the the chores I have to do or like thinking about all of the things here. Like my home is also my office. And so you never really leave either of them. You're always home and you're always at work. And so, you know, when, when the twins come, there's no escape. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for talking to yeah, me. Yeah, of course. I'm going to stop the recording, but this was really yeah, fun. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for having me. Thanks again to Blake for being my guest on this episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation and for hosting me to record this and two other interviews all in one day. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. I'll talk to you again next week. To listen to past episodes of the podcast or to sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the show, visit equalityarizona.org slash stories.